I'm Mike White, the CEO of Lively Worldwide. Welcome to the Fresh Takes video podcast, where we take a fresh look at the ever-changing landscape of marketing. We want to find out how creativity and technology are innovating the world of brands and businesses to deliver genuine audience connections. Everyone is talking about the developments in technology and the constantly changing landscape for marketeers. But are we spending enough time studying the needs of the general public? After all, that's who we're trying to connect with. We are bombarded by as many as 10,000 ads per day, and 85% of them sit below the memory threshold. So is advertising really dead, or has it just evolved into many different formulas, leveraging different channels, platforms, and formats? We've just seen Ryan Reynolds leveraging ChatGPT to supposedly create a new ad. Was this a clever PR stunt or just a view into the future? So how do we navigate these constantly evolving advances in technology while wanting to stay creative and be at the center of culture? Well, that's why we are here. Lively is a creative agency taking an agnostic view across all this noise, finding the true pioneers of creativity, innovating the world of marketing and entertainment so we can discuss what we have learned and how best to navigate the future. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to Ed Atchison, Head of Transformation and Innovation at Adobe, where he helps global and local brands transform their business into experienced businesses, creating innovation through transformation. So given this show is all about marketing, creative and innovation, I'm really excited. So let's bring him in and get started. Hey, Ed, how excited I am to have you on this show. Um, I think that my biggest challenge is going to be keeping within the time frame because when we when we spoke, I think we ended up talking for about an hour and a half. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, brilliant, actually. So, look, welcome to Fresh Takes. I think straight away for, for our audience, it would really be good to just hear about your fantastic personal journey from uh, from <laughs> DJ at the Ministry of Sound all the way to Head of Transformation at Adobe. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So when you think about being a DJ and doing digital transformation, actually, they, they seem very worlds apart, but actually they're remarkably the same thing. When you're a DJ, uh, you alone are at the, uh, used to be the wheels of steel, much more a digital console now, but still loving vinyl. You have to control uh, the audience in front of you. What you play gets the audience dancing, getting people on the dance floor. And it's just like having a real-time dashboard in front of you. If you put the wrong record in, then you see people at the edges disappearing, just like you might see people abandoning baskets or or not following through into the purchase. And you can see it physically. You see people ebbing away. And as a DJ, it's your worst nightmare, an empty dance floor. And so immediately you're looking into your record box, pulling out vinyl, trying to find the next thing and trying to be creative, find out what that audience need. Because you can go in with a whole bunch of hypotheses about what kind of tunes they like. But a massive tune you put in last week, they've got everyone pumping on the dance floor, flops the next week. Same club, just different people, different audiences. And that's really much the same about digital transformation. Uh, you've got to be able to ha look at the data in real time. You have to be able to look at that virtual dance floor, your audiences, and adapt to what's happening. Last week, you can put a promotion on, you can put a piece of content on that people love. The next week, it flops. And really, that's the, the similar way that I've approached all throughout my creative, creative life, from DJing through to transformation. 
And that's where I'm now at Adobe. I help companies transform uh, and understand how best to transform. And that's something I've got through a lot of blood, sweat and tears by doing it for real with many different companies. And it's hard changing culture. It's hard changing people's lives for the better because companies, brands, very resistant. They're really against almost creativity, being innovative. Uh, and it's the same for even some music venues that I played in before. They're against a certain type type of music. And sometimes you'll uh, get a manager go, we, we don't like that kind of record here. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think that's amazing. I, I, do you know what? I, uh, you've surprised me already. That is uh, a brilliant analogy of uh, comparing DJing because you and I share a similar passion, don't, you? don't we, in the fact that it's really in this world of marketing to people and trying to create a connection – it's all about creating that experience, isn't it? Yes. It's all about that experience. It, an experience requires trust. You have to be able to trust to create that experience. Otherwise, it comes across as a very shallow experience. No one likes shallow's experience. Everyone wants their experiences to be real. Uh, and it's about adding value to our own lives. Those experiences are meant to enrich us. It's like if you're if, if you're purchasing something which is more considered, you want it to be a nice experience. You want it to last. You want it to add value. You don't want to go and spend whatever it is on your considered purchase within a few seconds and get an email going, thank you. No. Yeah. These are bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. Well, actually, it's been, obviously, again, you and I have talked about this a lot over the years in the fact that, for me, that's why... Yeah, I I chose events as my kind of speciality because yeah. it's it was always the best way to really measure an experience from customers. Yes. Because, you know, I, I started my life um, luckily kind of creating brand experiences at music festivals. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing more rewarding, just like you as a DJ, seeing yes. a room full of target audience actually having a positive reaction. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and that's exactly why we kind of, we really champion this this whole proposition of kind of live marketing because it's like yeah. make marketing live, make it engaging, create a connection, um, and and you know that that's kind of a bit like my kind of reference point about at the beginning about being bombarded by ten thousand ads. Yeah, you've you've got to create that emotional connection, otherwise it just what well, it falls below the memory. You know, it doesn't yes. get captured. And in that moment, you're in a moment where you have a certain uh, predisposition to to certain messages that might be different the next week. So you need to be able to create that experience that fits the uh, the consumer's need. You have to look for their need, not the brand's need, not the marketers or the KPIs need. You look deep into what they need, just as people on a dance floor, just people at events. Find out what will make them happy, make them tick, make them engaged. Well, how, um, how do you how do you go about because like yeah you and I sing off the same hymn sheet but one of the challenges we we have when dealing with teams yeah everybody's human and and so how do you actually start to go about transformation you know I, I know you started your life tra- transforming yeah. banks which must have been really interesting <laughs> <laughs> No, yes. thanks to the banks, by the way. <laughs> but banks are challenging because they're hugely regulated and they're very risk averse. You look at the nature of the organization, they have a risk register that drives from the sea level down. 
if things are risky, it gets recorded. You have to deep dive into those risks and mitigate against them because they're people's money, uh, which makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want a bank uh, that take huge risks. Uh, you know about the banks that hu uh, take huge risks because they're no longer with us. Uh, and so that makes sense. But what that means for digital transformation is that you have to approach it in the right way. And it starts with experience. Uh, you have to focus on the end consumer because if you focus on the risk, you'll never create anything. If you focus on sales, you'll get the wrong kind of KPIs. We went into one bank and they were still only a few years ago measuring a success in the number of clicks through on banners within the website. And, and that doesn't really help because what they were doing then was driving clicks. If they'd put free beer, they'd have got a lot more clicks. They couldn't because it's regulated, but maybe if they were a different brand, they would have done. But, you know, they'd have all got their bonuses, but would they enrich people's lives? And the answer is no. So first off, with transformation, you have to focus on the experience. And to do that, you need to create KPIs within the organization that focus on the experience and measure the experience. And there's lots of different types of ways of doing that. Uh, you can look at net promoter score. Uh, my favorite is the uh, pirate methodology, the R uh, metrics. Um, do look that up. It's a fascinating way, particularly good for sort of startups and app based and product space. But uh, well, please uh, come on. You've got to elaborate just a little bit on that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of MPS because I, I was fortunate enough to work for Virgin for got 17 years. That they, they actually you know, set me up in my own business, which was amazing. And what I loved about their marketing and their business was they built everything around Net Promoter Score. And, yes. and just for everybody, you know, that, that is about really understanding just how much a, a customer values the brand and is willing to kind of pass it on. And, and there's nothing better, is there, in marketing than, than word of mouth, you know. So that's really – I'd really like you to elaborate on R, though, just for a moment. <laughs> so the R pirate metrics, and I, I like it because you get to be a pirate for a few days, and who doesn't like to be a pirate? Uh, or pretend uh, and being creative. So it's a set of five user behavior metrics um, that allow you to simply measure how well you're doing. And the point about metrics is metrics are great, but for you can cloud an organization with so many statistics and metrics that suddenly no one knows exactly what's working. Um, and that's why NPS is good. And the R framework does something similar. It looks at acquisition, activation, retention, referral, NPS again, and revenue. And when you look at each of those, it's about, can you acquire a customer? Then you have to onboard them. You have to get them doing something with whatever they've done, whether it's purchase a jumper, whether it's open a bank account, whether it's download an app and open it and use it. Then you need them to become loyal. And loyalty then is one thing, but then it has to be such a good experience to refer it on. I might or go to my corner store and uh, order. Uh, uh, I might go to my local store for my milk. Would I recommend it to people? No. Now they're stocking Prime. Now I'm recommending it to all my children's friends who want Prime drinks. So now that's into referral. Then, of course, revenue. You need to be making a profit at the end of this. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I... Uh... So 
what's really interesting about this is um and and i want to jump into this because i found it really interesting and, and i've got a similar stat was this need for creativity that we all talk about yeah. everybody likes to think they're creative don't they but that's <laughs> where that's not actually true is it <laughs> no no and, it, and it's a it, it's a terrible thing to say but all throughout school we're taught how not to be creative and, and you see that in the way that from primary school to secondary school the exams become about learning by rote learning to apply what you're learning and you're not asked to be creative you don't go into your physics exam uh, with uh, a beautiful project based in 3d you're not going to pass and therefore you can't be creative there are certain items that fit within Bernoulli's equation you can't change that and as you go through university into real life again creativity is halted we even lose the power to tell stories or understand how to tell stories well nasa nasa actually ran a survey of 1600 four to five year olds and tested their kind of creativity and then tested them when they got older and they came out with this frightening stat that 90, we're 96% less creative than we were as a child. <laughs> like, incredible. that's just shocking. That is incredible. <laughs> I, I see it all the time. It's, it's very interesting. I teach storytelling uh, at Adobe globally as part of how do you tell a story? And I was telling my daughter this, my youngest daughter, and she was saying, but that's easy. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and an end. Then you have to have plot points all the way through. They get it. But actually, as you go through life, suddenly all those creative moments get stamped out. And there's a very interesting quote from Clayton Christensen around uh, who coined the phrase disruptive innovation, uh, that good management kills creativity. And you can see that all the time, just like uh, good school teachers kill creativity a little bit, because their job, if you take the example of the bank with the clicks, a good manager who somebody who works for them comes to them and say, listen, people aren't converting at the other side. If we reduce the number of clicks and go for quality rather than quantity, we'll get a better result for the bank. Now, a good manager will go, well, our quarterly budgets and our bonuses are set on me getting a set number of clicks. If we take less clicks, then we won't be successful. The great manager will actually then start to investigate that and maybe change from taking clicks to maybe taking to being measured on actually who goes throughs and converts. An excellent manager, a layer level, an excellent manager, another level up, will actually empower those individuals to constantly be looking at the experience and constantly thinking about new ways of doing things. Uh, and one more example from when we did the RBS transformation. Um, with NatWest, we had a junior journey manager who's looking after the most risk-free, the most unexciting area of the website, how to bank online pages about how to bank online. Not the actual online banking, but just how to log into online banking. It's really unexciting, really, really low risk. But we empowered her to look at the data. She created a hypothesis and she went off because we empowered her to then test that hypothesis. And within a day, she was getting results of around 450% increase in mobile app adoption. 
something wow. that the agency we'd employed, uh, myself, other sales leaders had not spotted. She'd spotted in the data that actually people were going to that page naturally and logging in. And actually, if you went, if you gave them an easy path to go and log in with their mobile app, they wanted to do that more. You were looking at that experience. You were looking at how you could enrich that experience, make it better for that individual by creating that hypothesis, looking at the data, understanding what they had, and then creating a better experience. And that's you know so you well uh, sorry to interrupt that I, I was going to say that that that's you've just made me think about my whole life actually uh you know i've got three examples of how empowerment actually worked with me in my personal career um when i was very young i was i, I didn't have a degree you know i was dyslexic you know but I, it just didn't work for me but I was very lucky to be embraced into the marketing team at Allied Demet uh, in the UK, who who ran sixteen hundred um, pubs and nightclubs, yeah. and uh, and they went through this massive transformation um, uh, process, and they came up with this fantastic role where they realised that every outlet had its own entertainment budget, and if they centralised that, they would have millions to spend on entertainment. And, and when I heard this job, I was just like, oh, my God, that's just the most incredible job. And the uh, the CMO came up to me and he was like, did you like the sign of that job? And I went, yeah. He goes, well, it's yours. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, the, where's the job description? You know, I can't. And he said, there's no job description. He goes, it's an idea. Uh, and, it, uh, yeah, take it and and see what to do with it. And he, I, I said, look, can I have three months just to, like, you know, embrace and find out. And he said, sure. And he just let me go. And we ended up, we ended up creating TV shows. We ended up uh, doing big sponsorship deals. We ended up doing uh, um, uh, uh, advertising with, with live bands, a big music program. It was awesome. But you were being creative. No, I know. Exactly. You didn't have a manager say, no, Mike, we can't do that. You're crazy. No, I know. Of a TV program, no. Yeah. We, we, yeah. We're, a, he, we're a venue. His exact words used to be: every time I uh, I had a review with him, he said, "I haven't got a clue what you're doing, but I love it." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, fast forward, I then uh, got the opportunity to work with Virgin, and um, and it was incredible. They they actually set me up in business. They they were like, you know, I'd been working with them through another agency, yeah. and. They just started doing the festival and had seen what I was doing, and they basically said, "Look, you know, set up your own app, uh, your own creative agency, and we'll be your first client." And Virgin in those days, when it was Virgin Mobile and, and things like that, had, well, there's two stories there because they, one, they just let the client and myself collaborate perfectly with no parameters. It was fantastic, and. Um, and, and, you know, the great thing is the only thing we we had to use was MPS, which was fantastic. So, you know, and, and we slowly but surely managed to integrate it into all the different departments and things like that. And they, they just truly championed uh, individuals within that company. Yeah. And they were fantastic. And then, uh, and then my last example is some of the really interesting things that have happened out of the pandemic. Because... 
the the pan you know, leading up from from actually my days in Virgin right up to the pandemic, life became very very frustrating because you know the the processes that are being put into place, the departmentalization, the like you said, you know I've had I've had clients turn around because I've gone to other departments and gone look why don't you collaborate? It's not in my pay grade, not in my not in my job description, and it's just like but you all work for the same people, yes. don't you? <laughs> And um, and it's like, well, no, we've got different objectives. Yeah. We've got different budgets and different line managers. And it's like, oh, my God. But then the pandemic came along and suddenly, like, the table just got wiped out, didn't it? And, you know, we were lucky. We, we, got, we got a call from Ericsson. And Ericsson had been doing Mobile World Congress mm-hmm. for years. And suddenly, you know, they had to pull out of it. And that, that was their central global B2B marketing campaign strategy and so we said well you know you you have the power to continue thanks to technology we can do it all virtually and i was just so lucky to have a client that when i'm trusting you on this we we you know we don't know the the ins and outs of how to actually do it and we were given six weeks to do something that you would usually take three months on so we couldn't get sign-offs we couldn't get it just had to be like this. You go into a meeting, you collaborate with your client, the client, senior client was there, they made a decision, then you moved on. And the results were phenomenal. But you were um, empowered as an agency. Yeah, Let's go back exactly. to empowerment. And, and when you think of that, not at such a the larger level, you're looking at the day-to-day of cold face and marketing. Uh, that data empowers the individual. You can then put the tools like our Adobe Experience Cloud, uh, that enables that individual to create push notifications, put, put content in mobile apps, create web pages, do all that personalization. But you've got to have guardrails as well, because not just for a bank, whether you're selling jumpers to uh, uh, cars, you need to gain people's trust. I mean, it was an interesting study uh, Deloitte did where you know 66% of people don't trust the brands still. Yeah. And I, I think you have to make sure you're not doing anything creepy. You've got to stay the right side of creepy because uh, all this data can give you too much insights. We all heard the horror stories before from uh, from many amounts of uh, American uh, grocery retailers around mistakes that have happened in the past. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we're doing the right thing. We can put guardrails in. We can make sure that we're not mixing up the different types of data and in, in the wrong places and that's helpful because that gives then people a safe environment to do things do you know ed you've just really hit on a really good point there about adobe um and you know and part of this whole podcast is about how technology is 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 enabling more creativity and so that's kind of what adobe is all about isn't it is it's it's giving people the tools yeah. To be able to do things more efficiently, better, and more create and empowering creativity at the end of the day. It is. We're 40 years old as an organization. And you think about the first time I interacted with Adobe. Uh, in those days, um, you're looking at my age now a little bit. Uh, in those days, Adobe was used for printing out nice, glossy fonts onto paper. And this revolutionized the print industry. Uh, prior to that, you had to either use um, little transfers you had to paint the letters on by hand you had to go and actually typeset the letters so it's a huge amount of effort to go and set type it could take you 
half an hour to a day just to do a nice title. And um, what happened was Adobe came along and created this amazing PostScript fonts that you could print out. Overnight, that changed the creative industry. Families, small businesses could suddenly print their own letters, posters out on a laser printer. There's still a little bit of an uh, outlay because Apple uh, products were still expensive way back then, but it revolutionized and this carried on. Uh, and gradually more products came on board. The big way was um, uh, then if we look at the, the web, the web came along, suddenly enthusiasts, people with a computer science background could create web pages. Uh, and then products like Dreamweaver came along, which enabled everyone, again, the families, the small businesses to create web pages. And that revolutionized uh, the way we did, we looked at creativity. But at the time, both that printing out and Dreamweaver didn't stop people being creative. It didn't replace the creativity. You fast forward a little bit further on into actually when organizations, enterprises were hiring four or five teams of developers, testers to create their websites. And suddenly content management systems came along, which enabled you to go and create content at scale. And the key thing here is, again, with like with Adobe uh, Experience Manager, our content management system, this didn't stop creativity. Done wrongly, it can hamper creativity, but actually it empowered people. Like Anna, the journey manager we were talking about earlier, to try things out, try new experiences out and measure the results. And now as you go forward away from content management, we're going into real-time data, building trust and governance around that data. And how do you use artificial intelligence to actually empower a lot of the decisions, both in terms of uh, data and personalization and experience and in creativity as well? That's brilliant. So this is really good because basically it, it's, it's it's almost in a way that technology is allowing us to get more time to get that creativity back that yes. we talked about. That's because a lot of people. It's time. Yeah, when you, it's when time you talk key. about creative technology, people get scared mm. and worried it's going to take. Yeah, you know, the big thing about you know uh, whether it was you know the whole reason I set up um, lively as as this kind of digital and physical uh, agency was that I read an article in, in 2012 that said if you didn't know how digital was going to affect your business, you'd be out of business in 10 years. Mm. And and sure enough, pandemic comes flooding along and live streaming saved the event industry as far as yes. I'm concerned. Um, so I'm just going to jump for a second. I want to come back to your, your mention of AI uh, in the second to last question. But first of all, the this whole... We talk about technology, we talk about, you know, you personally have been through this journey with your career from digital transformation to creative transformation. Um, and how much, and everybody talks about digital, but obviously from my perspective, I'm a big fan of physical. You know, I work and live in the live event space, but I believe it's such a powerful way of engaging people and creating content that you use digital to expand upon it, which is why, you know, and, and I, 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 I 
promised myself I wouldn't use this word because I don't like necessarily experiential, but digital is kind of the, the term <laughs> we're using. I thought you were going to use the digital world. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's your view of that? What's, you know, have you seen, because you talk about experience and of yeah. course experience, you know, quite often is a physical experience, isn't it? So yeah. where where have you seen that in your kind of transformation journey? I think a lot of people do physical badly. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, physical experiences and a lot of people there's two things when you look at transformation it goes back to what we we're saying earlier setting the right KPIs up setting the right feedback loops and being able to look at data to modify it and that applies in store in branch in a car as it does uh, on a website in an app in a uh, in, in a metaverse uh, you know in, uh, in Unreal or wherever you are the same principles uh, affect you can understand a lot about going into a bank branch uh, and understanding and seeing how people use uh, the, the the branch the types of people come in you, that data can feed in in fact um, one of the things we did with the Royal Bank of Scotland was we created uh, this notion this project called superstars DJs you can see there's a little bit of a link back earlier and that notion was um, to go and get people to to be able to just like a DJ uh, to go and look at the audience and modify the songs that are playing, which did lead me to actually be one of the few people to have brought up and played their decks in the middle of uh, RBS's headquarters in Gogoburn, <laughs> as we called it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> brilliant. A little bit of light scratching, but. <laughs> um, it, and we that was brought taken out into the branches into telephony because it's the same principle yeah uh, and actually you need to be able to look at how people use their environment the physical experience as part of that brand touch point and you have to be able to do that in real time the same thing we, we did some interesting work with a large theme park, park operator and through looking at the data they suddenly discovered there was dead patches where actually people weren't getting signal which when you're trying to push real-time notifications to people and monitor where they are, connectivity in a, uh, you know, hundreds of acres of, uh, of parkland is a real, real problem. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so these things are important. Uh, and actually the experience should be enhanced by digital wherever you are, whether yeah. you're in the car, whether you're going into a store, it should be naturally part of that. The danger is... Everyone's in a store comparing prices with elsewhere. Yeah. If you're in a store and you can get it 20% cheaper next day. Yeah. And you don't have to carry it around with you. Yeah. You might do that. No. So the, the, the real question is how do you get to increase the experience uh, at that moment? So actually, digital adds to that buying experience yes. rather than this is take it. it away. This is it. Um, That's it. I work with Burberry, and they said uh, they had the most expensive mirrors um, because they, 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 uh, <laughs> they bought smart mirrors. And uh, pretty much after a week of the smart mirrors, they turned them off. Yeah. And so... That, One of our mantras as library has always been, don't use tech for tech's sake. And, yes. And, and, you know, and a lot of people... And it, and it kind of... It, it bugs me. This is kind of a real part of how marketing is changing because... You know, their use, you know, don't get me wrong, the, the integrated pro, uh, process of marketing is really important. You know, I, you know, I, 
I question about is advertising dead because I just think it's evolving. I don't think it, yes. you know, I do think it's very important. Um, and it's a bit like the role of PR. You know, we, we, we believe in creating long-term plans with brands on mm. how to engage their audience. I don't think there's anything worse than, um, you know, when a brand comes along with a PR agency and they have a great stunt to use the technology <laughs> on and they do it once. You know, a lot of people are doing, doing yes. it in the metaverse. They're going, oh, we yeah. were the first to do a retail experience in the metaverse. Mm. And, you know, there were some pretty big brands that, you know, when you went into Decentraland, it was impossible to find. Once you got in, it was empty. And like, to your point, the experience. So people keep saying, oh, you know, why is Lively an event company that does digital? And I was like, because, well, luckily, I, I formed Lively with a business partner who understands yeah. and delivers technology all the time. But we both believe in live experiences. So what better way than to offer those two things hand in hand so that they service each other? And events is interesting because digital is often done very badly at events. Yeah. Oh, terrible. It, uh, it, it can be shocking. Oh. You can end up with a, with a website and uh, sh sheets of paper tickets to VIP areas that you have to show off. We've all been there at various different conferences oh, yeah. and events and yep. uh, all sorts. Yep. And actually, that, that digital should be enabler, just whether you're at a theme park, whether you're going to a football match or, or whether you're going into a a clothing retail store it should enhance the experience it should leave you going to your friends to net promoter score again you've got to go there it is amazing yeah definitely. rather than you can't believe i lost my bit of paper I had to go over to the office to queue up and then got printed out and then i got this badge and that was the wrong badge and oh it's uh it, it can be uh horrendous we had a, a terrible time getting into a, a venue a few weeks ago with a fan with a we were with another family because we hadn't downloaded the app in advance. Oh, we had to download the app. And then we, we couldn't remember which email address we'd signed up with because yeah. everyone has many. And then because we were using the wrong email addressing and registering and you couldn't find the tickets until after you'd registered. It was, it was horrendous. Yeah. No. It took us half an hour to get tickets up. Yeah. Would we go back to that venue? No. No. Well, and it's just tight. Like your point, I think that's a really nice take out of that little piece in the fact that technology there is that we should use technology to enhance people's experience and to give us more time to focus on yes. the important matter of creativity. Yeah, that that's yes. it, isn't it? Whether you're whether you're buying it creates time to yeah. empower you to make the right and have the best experience, uh, and if you're being creative, it empowers you to give you time. Yeah. And creativity needs time. Without time, you end up with just going from one task to the next task to the next task. There is no room to be creative in that no. because creativity requires that magic ingredient. It requires time. Well, look, I'm going to segue hopefully beautifully into this wouldn't be right if we, and we've mentioned AI a couple of times, but... <laughs> You know, interesting enough, I used the chat GPT to um, to critique my business offering. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, it truly believed digital, although it didn't use that word, thank God, um, <laughs> was the future. And that intertwining kind of digital and physical was quite a future-proofed example. But 
you know, how, you know, how you've actually been working within AI at Adobe, haven't you? And there's some interesting kind of developments. How, how do you see AI actually empowering people? So AI, just like the content management system was, should be a tool that helps us every day. Uh, we have supercomputers in our pockets. I've got two supercomputers. I'm lucky I've got two phones in each side of my uh, trousers. Uh, and actually, this should be, AI should be in, on your phone helping you do everyday tasks, whether that's creative tasks, whether it's just managing your life. You should be able to uh, empower uh, yourself. Um, in much the same way, if as I'm a creative, uh, I should be able to go and actually decide which creative algorithms I want to apply. Maybe I've just taken uh, on a photo shoot and I've got three and a half thousand uh, images to go through. Yeah. Why don't I use AI just to shift out half of the ones that aren't quite right, don't have enough uh, plate to the size to the left, various parameters that don't show enough of a logo hey. or of, a, of, of a, a certain jug that I want to be in shot. So all these things can be used to save time. That doesn't take the creativity away, doesn't stop the camera person, uh, the photographer, the lighting people being creative. It does enable them to go and correct things to make sure that a, a brilliant shot isn't harmed uh, because their reflection was slightly uh, on the wrong way. Mm. I have a patent that's been uh, published and awaiting a, a approval with Adobe. And that's main premises. What if you could allow marketeers, the average person, actually to do data science? If you could take models that have been created, real-time data feeds, and actually be able to say, okay, I've got this group of people who would are interested in car insurance. I can then find out through predictive modeling what kind of cars they use, what kind of accident rates they have, and actually start to push these bits together. All of those models by may all of those models might have been created by other teams, but actually I can reuse them, bring them together, maybe plug in second-party data, third-party data, import data in, uh, look at postcode matching, and actually create an algorithm that actually makes that process, that product, maybe even more creative. Definitely. Because That's suddenly cool. you can start doing things that no one else has been able to do before. Typically, innovation is stopped because it's too hard. Yeah. Good example with one product I created, it took three weeks to write the software. It was a great, simple idea. It took nine months to get it through uh, legal requirements uh, um, for the risk appetite. Um, so actually, innovation and creativity is hampered sometimes by how hard it is and people give up. Oh, Absolutely. Too hard. Yeah, we we work, we we work with some really big organisations, and and for instance, like this platform we're on, Thank you know, um, you know, it, it, we built this during the pandemic because we saw a lot of the platforms that were being used and being uh, that have been created were kind of ten-year-old systems that hadn't actually been created for live events. Mm. And they had they were they were being modified for live events. But then the challenge you've got is you're then kind of taking those into businesses and showing a system that will improve the experience, but it's got to get through security protocol, which, you know, yeah. in some of the bigger organizations, there's like a six to 12 month backlog. Yes. And, and, yeah. and if, you, if you apply six to 12 months to technology, by the time you've got that through, it's going to be out of date. 
or somebody else has done it and, and exactly. stolen your uh, your march on the idea. Exactly. It's it's uh, it's a horrendous process. And so that's the idea. Uh, that's where I think AI is going. It should be an empowerment tool, just like the content management system was, uh, just like Dreamweaver was, just like um, uh, you know Illustrator was, and Freehand many many years ago. They're tools to help people be more creative. Yeah. And uh, look at generative AI, uh, sort of uh, being able to create pictures. That doesn't stop the need for a photographer to be creative. No. That stop video shoots. Uh, that helps certain individuals who can't shoot a unicorn in a misty forest with dew gently glistening on a, a mushroom in the foreground. It's quite nice. I've tested that one because my daughter's <laughs> unicorns. Uh, now, I, 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 it, would, it would take me several days to model that in a 3D software. Yep. Time that could be spent better elsewhere trying to than trying to uh, impress my daughter with my technical skills. So generative AI is a bit of a flippant example, but generative AI can help us be more productive, be more creative. And that's why one of the steps as Adobe is we've taken into uh, allowing generative uh, AI pictures into our Adobe stock. Yeah, I saw that. That's really exciting. Well, look, we're now we're coming to the end, but I think the uh, the subject we'd really like to kind of land on is talking about everybody being scared of technology. Mm-hmm. AI is, you know, suddenly going to be, you know, if it was, you know, sad news, but if it was NFTs and Web three in twenty twenty two, it's definitely going to be AI on everybody's lips <laughs> in twenty twenty three, isn't it? But you it know, is. we we can't let everybody just talk about the wonders of technology and and how that impacts the creative process and for everybody to be scared they might be losing their jobs without the conversation around ethics and providence. You know, mm-hmm. this, this you know, the whole impact fake news, people stealing images, you know, Trump with his baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear you guys have, uh, have got an exciting project that's, uh, uh, that's being developed. Yes, so the Content Authenticity Initiative is not just Adobe, it's an open source initiative uh, with many camera producers, um, with many camera producers, uh, publishers, people like the Washington Post. And actually the idea is take an image or a video. How do you ensure that video, how do you trace the lineage of that image as it goes through? Because as we all know, you can take a picture on a, uh, you can take a picture on a iPhone, you can then put it into Photoshop. Uh, you can then add many other different layers and effects. And what comes out the other end can be very different. We saw uh, just this morning, there was a case of a, a former prime minister being airbrushed out of a picture. And everyone spotted that very quickly. So suddenly that picture, was that the real picture or was where was uh, the providence behind it? And the Content Authenticity Initiative is designed so that you can trace that lineage both directly from that image. So if I have an image that's published in the Washington Post, somebody else can check actually that image or that video on the TV was actually authentic. You might be able to go back in certain situations, look at even the GPS. There is some governance around that because obviously you're in a war zone, you don't want to be publishing your GPS live on your website. So some bits you might not want to have, but you might want to know this is an authentic image from Ukraine at this date. 
Well, what also, surely, and... surely it's going to have a positive impact on all of this fake news as well. Is you know, it the is. image tells a thousand stories, doesn't it? But <laughs> well, you look at the fact-checking websites that now exist. Yeah. Um, you know, and even the ones dedicated to things like the Crown and things like that. Yeah. You know, we have to fact check. It's becoming part of our daily lives. Actually saying, actually, the thing I saw in TikTok, is that real? Do those things actually really exist? I know I end up fact checking my daughter with the things she tells me happens on TikTok quite a lot at the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So th this is where the Content Authority Initiative actually helps because then you can go out and check some of these images are they real what are the providence has ha, was there really snow on top of the pyramid or was the pyramid picture originally taken modified by somebody else and put snow on top all these things are really important and that's whether i have the original image or not um these things are going to be more and more important as we get into sort of this notion of, of deep fakes as well checking the provenance, being able to spot these things. There was a interesting work we were doing previously on testing whether or not we could detect if something had been photoshopped and altered mm. specifically. Mm. So all these things are really important to go and make sure we trust the technology. Yeah. When it comes down to trust, the brand has to have a trust. Uh, you have to place trust in that experience, the hence the consumers, otherwise people won't buy for you again. You have to go and uh, do the same for creativity. You have to have that trust. Yeah. You have to have authenticity. Guys, amazing. You know, I, well, I, uh, I think we've run out of time now, but the it's been incredible hearing just the progression, well, both of Adobe and how it really has evolved through innovation over, the, over 40 years mm. to enable people to be more creative, uh, which is fantastic. And from your own personal journey this you know understanding the kind of art of transformation and how which is something i'm is music to my ears because when you're trying to be creative and there's so many departments so many rules so many systems i think yeah. you told me about a case study of where you know you were approached by a brand and they had 55 steps within their creative process and they wanted to reduce <laughs> it by five five percent and you were like well it's, it's ten 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 percent and i and the answer was no start at the oh, beginning okay. look at the end and see what process you need don't look at which of the 52 uh steps you need to remove yeah uh big be because in that way madness lies because all you're doing is is probably making somebody else life worse yeah within departments and you're not actually looking at it in a proper sense yeah but this is again where kpis come in somebody gave them a 10 percent, and they went well 10 percent's easy that's five steps yeah gotta be done i get 20 people in a room okay guys this is the process which five steps can we lose and, and it, it sounds ridiculous that's actually really what happened and that's what happens time and time again rather than thinking actually is there a better way of doing this yeah and, that, and I we had brilliant. another example of uh somebody who had a uh it required six people to change an image. Not a light bulb this time, but a, a, an image with copy. Six different roles uh, and 30 days. Uh, and actually, that should, with a modern content management system, uh, you know, that should take uh, seconds. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, we learned that. that. That's actually 
one of our um I knew this was going to be a hard podcast to finish. <laughs> we, we got so much to talk about. I'm going to have to get you back. But um but yeah, well, we'll have a part two. We, we had a really exciting when we first started, you know, one of our brand values is agility and it's yeah. not reactive, it's being agile. And and actually yes. we we were lucky enough to work with Twitter in the early days before they had a marketing department and they needed to be able to deliver content from anywhere in the world within 24 hours. And uh, and we worked with them very successfully for kind of three years. Just, you know, we had to suddenly fly, you know, to parts of the US to cover the, pre- the pre-election campaigns. We, and and it was, it was incredible because, yeah, again, a bit like the Ericsson case study or the Virgin case study, it was like that we need to trust the team to be able to just go out yeah. and do it. And edit immediately as well. So there was no time for sign off or anything like that because with Twitter, it had to be immediate content. Um, whereas, you know, like you said, some you try and get a piece of content out in a big corporation and yes. you're talking weeks. So one, one, one last story. Go on. Because that, that on. illustrates this point nicely. Um, we were, I was working with the International Red Cross. They had a problem. Their central marketing team was incredibly small because you don't want to be spending vast amounts of charitable money on a marketing team when you have, you know, literally disaster zones that you need to help people in. And so they said, how can we get, how how can we be more efficient in the marketing department to go and create more uh, content and get our story out? And the answer wasn't to make the marketing department more efficient. The answer was to put storytelling into the hands of all the frontline staff, train them up, empower them, so that through Adobe Express, they could create content in war zones, in disaster zones, directly to the people that mattered. And we saw that with sort of, um, uh, you, you know, COVID. How do you go and how do you in a desert area get everyone to wash your hands? <laughs> you don't have a lot of water. You don't have running taps when you have to walk for uh, three miles for water. Yep. Uh, and so all these things, social media, everyone has phones and mobile connections, is the way of propagating the stories. They were able to tell stories back to the central marketing team and also use those storytelling tools to tell their story within the local communities. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, I'm definitely going to stop it there. Uh, I think we've. I think this, this has been so great. I really enjoyed it. I think... You know, learning about the fact that we need to find ways to get that, you know, 95% of creativity that we've all lost back. Um, The need to be far more human in understanding how we have to make everything an experience and think about the experience. And then that actually not to be scared of technology and to see it as something that empowers us to be able to do those those two points. It's... um, Mm -hmm. It's it's really nice. I, I think that should be a, a statement for for twenty twenty three. Is you know, let let's embrace it and uh, and uh, and see what comes of it. Yeah, see you in London next week. See you in London next week. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. So that's another great show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, if you did, please like and share. And if you are watching this through any other channel please take the time to register to our very own platform, um, Fresh Takes Lively, where you can get access to insight, white papers, and also live hybrid events, both past and in the future. And uh, hopefully see you in a couple of weeks' time. Goodbye.